right, we're going to start in verse 21 of chapter 2. And we're just going to read and kind of explain as we go. All right, at the end of the end of eight days, this is right after, remember, the, uh, the shepherds had, had come and seen Jesus in, in the manger, and they'd, they'd returned, and they'd gone off telling everybody about what they had seen. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. If you remember, we saw uh, the story about John the Baptist two weeks ago on day eight, uh, as according to the law of Moses, the children were circumcised. At the same time, they were given their name. Uh, that's a bit foreign to us because we've got our baby names picked out like way ahead in, in advance. And, uh, and in fact, I guess they had names picked out, but they weren't actually given a name. There was no legal name given to the child until day eight. Remember, that's when Zechariah got his voice back. <laughs> day eight. Um. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, Every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. All right. So uh, they gave his name, Jesus, uh, Yeshua actually, which means what? You guys remember? I think we talked about it a few weeks ago. Uh, that's a that's a good good guess. It means Yahweh saves. Yahweh was the name for God, so God saves. Um, in the Old Testament, this name gets translated Joshua. And New Testament, we it's Jesus. So it's, it's it's actually a pretty common name. A lot of times that takes people by surprise. Wait, Joshua, Jesus, it, Yeshua actually is is his name. That's right. Um, that was on day eight. Skip ahead 40 days, even though it's the next sentence. The time came for their purification. All right, so this was according to the law, again, and, and you're already hearing, according to the law of Moses, according to the law, according to the law. And that's going to be important. Uh, women, after they gave birth, had to wait first the seven days up to the circumcision and during that period of time, they were unclean. After that, they still had to wait 33 more days until they could be purified. And so here we have purification happening about 40 days after Jesus was born. And at the same time, we have uh, basically a dedication. So they go to the temple okay, for purification and for dedication. Purification, like I said, was for the mama, as laid out in Levitical law. Uh, and the sacrifices that they had to make of the two birds were for that ceremony. Notice what, what had to happen for Mary to be considered clean, a sacrifice. All right, this is, that, that's Levitical law over and over again. There's, uh, you, you can do different things to be unclean, and in order to get clean, there must be a blood sacrifice that takes care of your impurities. All right, then we also have the dedication. Dedication was for every male firstborn child. Uh, you were to set aside that, the firstborn child, for God. He was to be holy. All right, uh, if you were a Levite, if you were in the tribe of, of, of Levi, then your, your kid, your male child, actually had to be set aside to be a priest. 
Now, it's very interesting that um, everybody else, if you're of a different tribe, and remember they were of the tribe of who? Do you remember? Of Judah. All right? Uh, every other tribe, if you weren't a Levite, uh, had to pay a tax to the priesthood. Five shekels of silver, which was actually like several days' wages. They had to pay a tax. And it was actually called a redeeming tax, which I found extremely peculiar. Um, Ironic, I guess, is is the right word. They had to go to the temple. Oh, actually, they didn't have to go to the temple. They could have paid the priest anywhere, but they were going anywhere anyway. They were in Bethlehem. They weren't at home. Remember, they're 100 miles from home, but they were pretty close, about six miles from the temple. And this is kind of a unique kid. They figured they'd go to the temple for this particular instant. They, um, they had to go and pay their five shekels of silver, a redeeming tax, because basically you're, you're, you're paying and redeeming your child back because he doesn't have to go work in the priesthood. All right? And a dedication service, which is basically just, we dedicate this kid to you, God, which could have been done from their home. But they went to the temple to do this. Um, now, Here's where the story gets interesting. All right, that was just kind of straightforward. They're fulfilling the law. That's, that's the big thing you need to get from that first section. Um, when they go to the temple, because there is a woman there, Mary is present, they could only go into the outer courts, into the court of women, which means there would have been thousands of people there. For some reason in my, in my mind, when I've thought about this dedication service in the past, I always picture something like what we do like a, a dedication kind of service, like if you grew up in a group in the Baptist church. And so, you know, we have this time, and you, and you come up, and here's this dedication presented to people. Or there's really nobody around. It's just this kind of private kind of thing. Uh, th- this wouldn't have been anything like that. There were people bustling all around. All right, they were in the outer courts. This happened, yes, they would have maybe seen a priest and they would have done this kind of thing, or they, especially for the sacrifices. But there were lots of people bustling about. That was the outer court. All right? Um, and then look what happens. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. All right, so so check out what's happening. Amongst all these thousands of people, there are probably lots of babies here. There was this dude named Simeon. Luke makes sure to point out that he was righteous and devout. Right? We, obviously, he had a relationship with the Lord. The Holy Spirit was involved in his life. He was, at least at periods, filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, we often think that the Holy Spirit is something that happens for New Testament Christians, right? Like after Pentecost. That's when you get the Holy Spirit. All right. Yes, that's when believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, but, but don't think the Holy Spirit wasn't involved in everything going on beforehand. All right, we don't see indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but we certainly see the Holy Spirit uh, enacting with people and on people's life. And this guy had a particularly cool relationship because it mentions several times right here where the Holy Spirit revealed things to him specifically. All right, this doesn't happen to everybody. Uh, when this kind of thing happens is when it shows up in the Bible. All right, 
somehow or another, the Holy Spirit let him know, led him into the temple on this particular day. And when he saw this baby, amongst probably lots of other babies that were around, Simeon recognized him as the Messiah. Now, I don't know if, if Simeon had like made this public that God had told him he, was going, he wasn't going to die until the end of the world. Um, I bet he didn't make it public because you know what people think of others when they talk like that, right? Like, you've, you've seen the guys. I, I found some pictures. But when you see that guy on the side of the road with a sign that says the world's ending, you know, God's coming back, I, I just dismiss it, like, or, or laugh, or there's more. Judgment Day, I like that one. That was Judgment Day, guys. Um, in 2011, and then it was 12, 12, 12. And that's kind of, that's, that's kind of what I picture, right? <laughs> so I don't know. Did, did Simeon make this a public kind of thing? Guys, God told me I'm not going to die until the Messiah comes. I, I don't know. Maybe he kept it between just some close friends, uh, this, this, this is what happened. Um, I got to thinking, what, what would that actually be like if you, if you knew you weren't going to die until the Messiah comes? Well, just practically, what would that look like? Honey, you've got to stop eating that junk food. Like, why? I'm not going to die until the Messiah comes, so it doesn't really matter. Or, or well, how many, hey, y'all, watch this kind of moments could you get away with? Because I'm not going to die. The Messiah hasn't come yet. So he can just do whatever you want to do. You live like true. Uh, well, actually, no. <laughs> See that guy sign? I didn't, I didn't show you my sign, would I? No. It's, um, I don't know. In, in one way, it, it, would, it would kind of make things fun. If you, if you knew when you were going to die or you knew that you weren't going to die until a specific time, that, that would have some ramifications. Uh, I'll bet this guy being devout as, as he was, um, it, it may have given, put some pressure on him. It's probably more likely. Some kind of uh, anticipation. Do you think he, was, he began to look around the corner uh, everywhere? Okay, is today going to be the day that I'm going to get to see the Messiah? Remember, he, he thought the Messiah was going to come and restore Jerusalem to a political power where everything was going to be restored rightly as God had created. Shalom was going to be here. There was going to be joy and peace and frolicking in the flowers. Like this is, it, and he was going to get to see that. He was going to get to see that. That's, that's what he thought. So he had to be looking every day. It, it seems from the context here that this guy was actually pretty old. And we're going we're gonna to see in, in a minute. Like he's, he's kind of anticipating death. Like, let me die already. I got to live another day. Come on. When is this Messiah coming? Every day, maybe, he was looking. This particular day, that's him. Can you, can you imagine, I don't know, the, just, just the overwhelming emotions that he would have experienced? That's him. I also think he was old because what, what would you do if a, if a guy comes up, you're holding your baby, right? And a guy like, you know, 20 to 50 walks up like to give me your baby. 
I know what you're going to do. That, baby, that man's not getting close to your baby. But if it's an old guy, like, hobbling, oh, let me see the baby. Like, okay, well, then that's another reason I think he was, he was probably pretty old. <laughs> he was old and a little crazy, but what are you going to do? It's just an old man. He's harmless, right? <laughs> he, 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 can't, he can't get my baby and, and run away. Um, somehow he knew. And he took this baby and he blessed God. He praised God, and this is what he said. And this has traditionally been called the Numitus. It means now, Lord, in Latin. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. He's looking at a baby. He says, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. That's that's everybody else that aren't Jews. A light to the whole world. And for glory to your people, Israel. In, In this moment, Simeon's life was complete. Everything was right in this moment. He's saying, thank you God for showing me this. Here he is. Now let me depart. Um, You are letting your servant depart in peace. This is like uh, dismiss dismiss me like permanently. This This is basically now I can die in peace. I've seen him. Everything is good. Now you're going to let me die in peace. I'm tired. Let me die. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. I mean, can you imagine this random guy coming up and just breaking into this song right there, praising God, talking about... I mean, they knew. They knew. They had been told that this was the Savior of the world. And here they were in this temple, and they were just part of the crowd. There were probably hundreds of other families, thousands of other families, probably other babies, probably other people going through these exact ceremonies. All the religious leaders saw this kid as another baby. This guy recognized him for who he was. Now a little wrench gets thrown into things. And he turns to address Mary. We're in verse 34. Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. All right, so hold the phone for a second. There's all this praise and joy, and this is the Savior of the world. However, this little baby right here is going to cause some division, is going to cause some strife. Actually, He's going to be the cause of many people falling. Why do you think Simeon first, first of all, why, why do you think Simeon just addresses Mary? Any ideas? If you think about the, the stories about Jesus following, following this and that, and that random event when he's about 12 and at the temple, where's Joseph? Remember that guy? Jesus' daddy, he, he's not in the picture anymore. Later, he's, he's not there. 
and that's probably because he's, he dies. At some point in Jesus' life, before he was 30, before his public ministry, something happened to Joseph. Joseph wasn't going to witness what Mary had to witness later in her boy's life. We're going to hear about Mary later. We're going to hear about Jesus' siblings. No Joseph. Jesus will be rejected, and he will become a dividing line. And Simeon knows this because he knows his Bible. He knows prophets like Isaiah. Uh, Here's one example. Isaiah in chapter 8 says uh, about the Messiah, and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. So why would he be a stumbling block? Like this seems a, a bit odd. He's supposed to be a savior. He's supposed to be salvation. Here, what's going on? Because Jesus is going to signify what people hate. Okay, not only did he not meet their expectations, but he... Look, people hate righteousness. Because people are unrighteous. We are unrighteous. We love the darkness rather than the light because what happens in the light? Everything is exposed. Your deepest, darkest, hidden sins are exposed. That's what happens in the light, and we don't like that. (laughs) We don't like it. Um, Jesus will expose you for who you are. He will. He will expose you. Now... He will offer you grace in that exposure, but it's not going to tickle. It's not going to tickle. Uh, you know, when, when people say, oh, come and be a Christian because life is great on this side of the fence. You can join our team and you're going to be a winner. They fail to tell you about, yeah, follow Jesus and you're, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to bleed. Jesus is going to wreck your life. He may divide you and your closest friends. He may split families. He does split families. And relationships, he'll split you in half. That's how much he loves you, though. Because it's worth it. For, For beings, his creation that he loves so much, it's worth it to him to expose you so that you may be saved so that you may be redeemed. But wait, just as Simeon is, is saying all this and, and their, their minds have to be swirling like, well, what are you talking about? You were giving praise and now you're saying he's going to be this d- dividing line. And, and, and at that hour, uh, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel and of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years. That means really, really old. Like, death is approaching, almost dead. That's how you need to think about it. She was almost dead. Having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Some of your versions may actually say she, she lived 84 years after the death of her husband. Uh, it's kind of a difficult translation. So she's either 84 or she's like 104. She's old, though, okay? Uh, 
this lady, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, and coming up at that very hour, that means right then, like as this is going on, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. All right, so, so Simeon is talking here. Up comes this prophetess, okay, and a, and a prophetess is, a, or a prophet in general, is someone who speaks for God. Um, it's not necessarily someone who tells the future. It's not, it's not always necessarily someone who is like, like, a, a, like God speaks into the ear and they speak out. But it is someone who speaks on behalf of God, whether it's uh, teaching his word or if it is a, a direct uh, word from God. <laughs> okay, that is what a prophet is. This was a, a prophetess. Um, she comes up and recognizes Jesus as well. Notice that Luke is making the point that this lady is a believer. She's old, first of all. He makes that point again. He's got lots of characters. Have you noticed? Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth, John the Baptist's father, uh, father and mother, they were really old. Simeon, seems like he's old. Anna, old. What's middle age? Yeah, you know, middle age, there's nobody middle age right now. Because then on the opposite side of things, we have one character who's extremely young, 13, Mary. Interesting. Interesting. So she begins to give thanks that the promised one is here, and she's making this big to-do about it. Uh, you know, it, we don't really have a lot of details. We don't know if, if she was walking around and she's like, boom, oh, that's him. Or if she knew Simeon, because she was at, she, she basically like lived at the temple. Um, it, was, it was the Jews, uh, they, were, they were supposed to take care of widows and orphans. Like, that was, that was a big deal. And so when her husband died, somebody, normally her husband's brother, was to take her in and take care of her. Um, if they didn't have a brother, then another family member would. If there weren't any other family members, then the priesthood would take care of them. Uh, apparently, she lived at the temple. There were rooms, quarters at the temple for the priest. When they came on their rotations and, and served, they would stay there. So maybe she lived in one of the rooms there at the temple. But she was there night and day, prayer and fasting for 80-something years. Luke is making the point she's a devout, God-fearing worshiper of the one true God. She may have known Simeon. She may have had a relationship with Simeon and said, Simeon stopped to talk to that person. I know what God told Simeon. Or maybe, maybe Simeon saw her and said, Anna, Anna, come here, get over here. Or she recognized, we don't really, we don't really know. But here, here she is making this big to-do. She recognizes Jesus for who he is. All right. Let's kind of wrap this up and put all these pieces together. All right, because that's, that's the basic story here. Notice what Luke has been doing. I told you about the characters. We have old characters, and then we have a new character. Right? Luke is demonstrating that an old era is passing away. And a new era is coming in. He's going to show that there's a continuity. It's not that the old is like dead and gone. The old people are dead and almost gone, right? Why do you think this is going to be so important for Luke to communicate to Theophilus? 
the old, there's a transition happening from old to new. What would Theophilus, a Roman government official, have been witnessing over the past few years when Luke is writing this? Remember, Rome ruled Israel, right? And Rome was to make sure that all of her empire was at a state of peace. Well, what was going on in Israel after the death and resurrection of Jesus? There was all kind of turmoil going on. There wasn't a synagogue that wasn't in uproar. Hmm. It's almost like what Simeon said was going to happen. There was going to be a division. There was hostility going on. So it's important for Luke to communicate to Theophilus, now look, this is true. This is actually the way that it's supposed to go. This new thing coming on, it's not just a cult. It's not just a sect. This is actually Judaism in its fulfillment, Christianity. Did you know that? Judaism and Christianity actually are the same thing. They should be. Right? But some people stuck with the old and didn't accept the Messiah. But when the Messiah comes, that's the Jewish faith. There should be Christians. All right? And Luke's making that point. Luke's making that point. The old is passing away, and the new is being ushered in. Uh, And that doesn't mean that the old is is being thrown out. The old people that Luke talks about, they're the ones that are actually recognizing, oh, all of this was planned. This is the Savior that it it was planned from the the very beginning, just like we talked about Zechariah's prophecy a, a few weeks ago. This is the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. This is the fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant. This is the fulfillment of the new covenant as prophesied by Jeremiah and by Isaiah. This is it. This is it coming to fruition. And Luke's making this point that the, the old guys, the one who, who really got it going on, the devout, God-fearing Jewish people, they see it. The religious leaders, they don't see it. The self-righteous people, they don't see it. The true believers, they see it. Do you see why that would be important for Theophilus? And I think important for us to see. Think about the examples today we've seen regarding the law. The law, the, the, the old covenant, which was the Mosaic covenant is what he's referring to. Uh, the old covenant was there to remind the people they needed a savior. They were unclean. They were impure. They needed to be made clean. In, in all these examples that we've been, that we've been looking at, uh, even at, at the period of time in a woman's life that should be the most joyous time, giving birth to the next generation, she would have been overjoyed, and at the same time, the law, said, the law would have reminded her, no, everything's not okay. You are not clean. You are impure. She had to go sacrifice animals to be made pure again. The whole circumcision event was a reminder of the covenant, but, but, but what, what was the point here? The point, as we learn later in the New Testament, is that flesh had to be cut away. Later that'll be, that'll be carried over to... Your heart needs to be circumcised. 
Because it's impure. It's unclean. You need to be transformed. In steps, Jesus. Right? Jesus was actually born because you need to be made clean. If we can stop for just a minute and, and realize and be reminded by looking at the law, we do actually need a Savior. We are, we are broken. We are unclean. And, and, and we don't have to go very far in the law to know this. I mean, go at commandment number one. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Well, how did that go for you today? Man, we are always putting something before God. Just think about where where is your time and your attention and your focus? Have you placed something over and above God? Yes, you have. So we didn't even we didn't get very far down the list. And now we've already broken God's law. Okay, you're unclean. You're impure. You are unrighteous. And we talked about this a, a, a few weeks ago. What happens? When righteousness touches unrighteousness, it, it, it can't. It can't. When the holy comes into the presence of the unholy or the other way around, what happens? And we remembered by in, in the temple, you don't go into the holy of holies because you burn up. You die. You cannot be in the presence of God unless you are somehow made righteous. That's where Jesus comes in. Because Jesus fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law. Even here as a baby, on day eight, passively, he's fulfilling the law on your behalf so that you don't have to. He fulfills it for you. See, God actually wants a relationship with you. And he went to extremes to get it. In the same way, the law required a bloody mess to be seen so that, so that you could have access to God again. God allowed his very own son to become a bloody mess for you. How crazy is that? That song that we sang at the very beginning. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The crazy thing is all, all of these pictures, all, all of the sacrifices, all of it, Jesus was going to fulfill that. And it's already starting. The old is passing away. The new is coming into play. Do you believe that? I guess that's my question, really. The total application of all of this is, do you actually believe that? Do you believe that? Do you believe God really loves you enough? See, this baby was born to die. He was born to become a bloody mess. Jesus on that cross, yes, he reminds you of how filthy you are, You are so dirty, so rotten, so filthy, so unrighteous. You are so much a sinner that it took nothing less than the Son of God to die for you. That's what it took. And at the same time, this baby Jesus who later goes to the cross says, I do it willingly because that's how much I love you. I will gladly, gladly be tortured and die for you because I love you. Do you believe that? Let's pray. God, thank you for this evening. Thank you for Luke. Thank you for... um
Thank you for illuminating scripture for us. I pray that, that as we leave here tonight, your Holy Spirit would continue working on us, transforming us, helping us to, uh, to really see the grace that you have extended to us. You went at great pains to yourself to, uh, to give us grace. Unbelievable. Lord, we love you. Uh, we, we thank you. Help us to love you more. And it's in your son's name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I pray. Amen.